Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are into the middle of October here, Election Day, November 8th, 2022 is fast approaching. And along with many races for elected office on the ballot this year in New York, there are important referendums for voters to consider. On a pair of podcast episodes here at Max Politics, we're discussing those ballot questions, including one statewide ballot referendum and three others for only New York City voters. All of them are yes or no questions, but they deal with complex proposals, and I have great guests to help break it all down. On this episode of the podcast, we're dealing with question one, which New Yorkers across the state will have the opportunity to vote on. It is the proposal for a $4.2 billion environmental bond act, which has been passed by the governor and the legislature and now comes before voters to approve or disapprove because it deals with new state debt. The proposal is formally known as the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act of 2022. And as the name suggests, it would fund a number of environmental and climate-related projects across New York. Much more on that in just a moment with my guests here, Julie Tai of the New York League of Conservation Voters and Amy Chester, the Managing Director of Rebuild by Design, who will discuss both the Environmental Bond Act and a number of related climate, energy, and resiliency issues, including the imminent 10th anniversary of Hurricane Sandy devastating many parts of New York. Additionally, on the ballot in New York City only, voters will be able to vote yes or no on questions two, three, and four, all of which deal with potential amendments to the New York City Charter passed by a racial justice commission assembled by former Mayor Bill de Blasio. You can find the companion episode of Max Politics on those three questions and related issues where I'm joined by Jennifer Jones Austin, the chair of the New York City Racial Justice Commission, to discuss ballot questions two, three, and four for New York City voters. They deal with proposals for a new mission statement preamble to the city charter, creating a new office of racial equity and a racial equity plan mandate, and more that came out of the process held by the commission last year. Before we get into my conversation here with Julie Ty and Amy Chester, both longtime experts and advocates with relevant government experience on issues of climate and environment and energy, please do find other episodes of the podcast after you listen to this one. First and foremost, the conversation with Jennifer Jones Austin on ballot questions two through four, but also a number of other important, interesting recent conversations I've had with a variety of elected officials, candidates for office, advocates, and other experts. Find them all at Max Politics wherever you get your podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette website. And in the coming days and weeks, hoping to have a variety of other candidates for office in this year's elections on the show, including those for statewide office like Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, and her Republican opponent, Lee Zeldin, getting those invitations out or reminding their campaign people about those invitations. And a bunch of others are out for some of the statewide candidates and looking at others to have on the show related to the elections that are coming up. So let's talk about question one on the 2022 general election ballot in New York, a statewide referendum for voters to approve or disapprove the $4.2 billion Environmental Bond Act. Joining me now to discuss it are Julie Tai, the president of the New York League of Conservation Voters, and Amy Chester, managing director of Rebuild by Design. Welcome. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us on. 
Now, I should note you're both part of a large coalition supporting the passage of Proposition 1. And while you may advocate for voters to approve it here, we are just making sure that New Yorkers are aware of its details and they can make up their own minds, of course, as New Yorkers do. I'll also note, though, that I've been looking to find organized opposition to the Bond Act, and I haven't found any yet. That doesn't mean it's a slam dunk for New Yorkers, though. So let's get into the details. But first, just very quickly, if you each would just take a moment to, to explain what your organization does. Uh, Julie, why don't you start? Just give us a quick overview of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Sure. We're a statewide advocacy organization that champions clean water, clean air, and climate change through political action. We also work to educate, engage, and empower New Yorkers to be effective advocates for the environment by making sure that elected officials are engaged on environmental issues through candidate forums, and we do a civic engagement to encourage New Yorkers to come out and vote, including early voting. Thank you. And Amy, Rebuild by Design? Yes, Rebuild by Design began after Hurricane Sandy. We began as an initiative of HUD, and we were a competition that brought together experts around the world to work with local governments and um, local communities in the region. And out of that, uh, the federal government awarded $930 million to seven projects in the region that are being implemented right now. And we have about $3.9 billion in those projects. Um, after our experience with Hurricane Sandy, we started working with communities around the world um, working on collaborative processes and also doing research and um, education. And it was our initial research that led to Governor Cuomo to introduce the Bond Act. Great. Thank you. So, Julie, uh, give us an overview of what the Bond Act would do if the funding is passed by voters. Sure. So the funding is really going to be made available to make uh, upgrades to our infrastructure, in particular, our water and sewer infrastructure, to make our communities more protected from flooding and uh, impacts of urban heat associated with climate change, to make sure that we're protecting more open space and investing in parks, uh, which we know is really critical, um, as well as making sure that we are mitigating climate change by reducing air pollution and particular and making some of our public buildings and schools more energy efficient, allow them to use more renewable energy. Uh, this will be done through primarily the state awarding grants to local governments and not-for-profits for them to invest in these projects. And one of the really critical opportunities about this Bond Act is it will enable us to leverage a lot of the federal funding that is coming down from the infrastructure bill passed in 2021 as well as now the Inflation Reduction Act that Congress just passed this summer. So we're really excited about the opportunities that we can take because we haven't had an environmental bond act in this state since 1996. Yes, indeed. And, and as I said in the beginning, what the question is before voters is basically allowing the state to bond act and borrow uh, bond out and borrow some some new money here to then, uh, as you said, allocate those grants. So, Amy, say a little bit more about that research and the need for a bond act like this. Um, as Julie just said, there hasn't been one since 1996. One of the questions that I get in talking to people informally about this is, why is this even really necessary? Um, why not just work a lot of these projects into the massive $220 billion state budget? Why do we need a bond act? So say a little bit more about the research um, pushing this forward and why it's necessary. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in New York, I'm a, a Brooklynite, and my friends and family were very much affected by Hurricane Sandy. But it wasn't until we took a step back and realized that actually every single county in New York State had had a disaster declaration for flooding between 2011 and 2019, and 60% of them had more than five disaster declarations. And when you're able to map it and see that it's upstate and downstate, it's Democrat, Republican, it's Riverine, it's Great Lakes, it's coastal communities that are affected, you realize that we're all in this together and we should be able to do something about it. So that was the initial research. And then we started thinking about and trying to um, calculate how many jobs may, could it create, how many dollars would it um, may alleviate us from spending in the future. And we start realizing this is a home run for everyone in the state. Interesting. And and why do we need to bond it? Either of you jump in here. Why does New York in your in your estimation and why did this move in a way that bonding makes sense? I know neither of you are necessarily deep, you know, finance uh, <laughs> experts here. And I can I can ask these questions of others at a different time. But but what's your what's your sense and what's your argument for for that question of why do we need why do we need to bond this out and take on, you know, extra state borrowing when the state has this this massive budget? I know part of the answer for anything infrastructure related is that, you know, it's good. It's all debt. bonded. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good debt. It's good debt for sure. Uh, we know from experience the Trust Republic land has done a study about environmental investments. For every dollar the state invents, you're going to see a seven dollar return on that investment in the local economy. We know that for. Uh, you know, trying to avoid costs, as Amy was talking about, for every dollar we spend in investing to protect our communities from the impacts of storms, we save six dollars in traumatic dollars. Right. We don't want to, you know, for Superstorm Sandy, we're paying for people who have gone through terrible, you know, agony of losing their homes, of having their, their buildings flooded and losing all these important memories for them. So making sure that we're making those investments makes good sense. We bond out a lot of the infrastructure projects uh, because we know they're going to generate jobs. So Amy can talk more about this, but we've done a study. She and AECOM did a study about how many jobs this would create and how much work that is. So certainly this is something we know it's not going to increase any taxes for New Yorkers. So this is really a good opportunity for New Yorkers to have the chance to say to the government, we want you to direct funding in this way. I can also add that it doesn't take away a bond is new money. So it's new borrowing. So it doesn't take away any other needs that the state is currently funding. And it's essentially put in um, a protective place because once you offer the bond to bondholders, you are telling them and you're locking yourself in for the reason why you're offering that bond. So the state can't take it and use it for something else. I want to come back to that in just one second, but let's let's go back to the, the jobs portion, the economic uh, opportunity here. As the name of the Bond Act suggests, the last part is green jobs. Um, say, say a little bit more, Amy, about what those benefits are projected to be, could be, and are there any sort of pitfalls, you know, in those projections? Are there any, uh, you know, ways in which the the projections could fall short if there's, you know, certain, uh, you know, special events that get in the way or, or anything of that nature? So these are projections. Um, obviously, we can't look into the future, but that we did economic modeling with AECOM, which is a global engineering firm, and found that the $4.2 billion investment will bring 84,000 jobs. How that was calculated is that they went through each individual use. Um, so the legislation for the bond out 
bond act actually breaks up all the different um, places that the dollars are going to be spent. So some of it is in electric vehicle infrastructure. Some of it is in retreat. A lot of it is in water and sewer. And for each of those, there are estimations for how many jobs it can create, which is based on you know decades of doing this type of work. So um, not only does it create the 84,000 jobs, when you invest $4.2 billion, it leverages $8.7 billion in spending. What that means is that there are rippling effects for spending that $4.2 billion. So you might be creating economic development, you might be creating tourism, you might be creating um, lower, um, uh, lowering um, kind of like the health necessities um, in that. So they're able to project it and it's it ends up being really a home run. I actually, what's really important to add to that is the jobs that we're talking about that are going to be created are going to be good family sustaining jobs. You know, there's a prevailing wage requirements as part of the Bond Act. Um, so we know that, you know, this is going to be good uh, family sustaining wage jobs. So we're very excited about that. And that's one reason why some of our partners in the coalition or organized labor, including the AFL-CIO and many of the building trades, including the operating engineers, the laborers and construction uh, organizing unions. And can I just add that it's actually throughout the entire state. So we're not just thinking about, oh, these are, you know, kind of big New York City jobs. They're not at all. And really statewide communities are suffering. So for instance, like Herkimer County, Delaware County have had 10 disaster declarations, you know, within nine years. These are jobs that could be spread out and be investing in local communities. That was my next question. Are we sure that the money will get spread out sort of equitably? And what does that mean uh, to get spread out across the state? And in conjunction with that, in terms of the guarantees and voters feeling sure about um, you know, whether they want to support this or not, are we also sure that this money can't be potentially raided? Uh, the question of you know, sort of giving state government more money to use, does some of the money wind up going to some pet projects of legislators or the governor that that doesn't really line up with the mission being presented here. What are the safeguards on both those fronts here? So the statute requires that there be competitive grant programs for a lot of the way the dollars would be spent, um, which means there'll be criteria that are public that will give the opportunity for municipalities and not-for-profits to apply for those funds to, to advance projects. Some of the safeguards about just, you know, spending the money around include uh, a specifically a requirement that at least 35% of the funds be invested in disadvantaged communities, which are very often communities of color and low income communities that have been overburdened by pollution from our, our historic past. So that, I think, is a really important component that was included in the Bond Act in the statute directly. Um, and so we're expecting that the state will be very diligent in how they, they make sure that gets spread out, because we want to make sure these frontline communities, the communities that are most at risk of being impacted by climate change, benefit first from the dollars that the state is going to be spending. But this is not one where the projects are all spelled out already in the statute the way some of them have been done in the past. So really, this will enable, you know, all over the state, as Amy said, from Long Island, New York City, to the Hudson Valley, to Western New York and upstate, you know, we'll really have an opportunity to apply for grants and to really be awarded based on, on some of their risk and also making sure there's some regional distributions of those dollars. We're in our last couple of minutes here. Um, Amy, can you say a little bit more, what, especially since your work has been so focused on uh, Hurricane Sandy and, and the recovery and resiliency, 
what the Bond Act would help do for New Yorkers in terms of uh, localities handling extreme weather? Yeah, I think there's two good examples. Julie mentioned one of them, and that's water and sewer. So right now, many communities are already getting flooded, whether it's from rain events or from storm surge. And there'll be many dollars that are allocated to making sure that we can expand sewers or use green infrastructure and really think smartly about protecting our communities. The other one is that there is a $250 million set aside for a managed retreat program or for a climate migration program, which is helping communities that want to move out of harm's way move. So there were some communities that asked um, during uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy and the, I'm sorry, the state government helped two communities move, one that was in Staten Island, another one that was in Long Island, but there are many more that asked for it. And this will really spur the idea of a state program that can be very thoughtful and dedicated to helping people before they have an awful event and there's trauma. I, I think there's also a lot of other projects that people won't necessarily think about. Like we still have lead pipes, right? And we need to replace those. There's gonna be funding in there to replace lead pipes. There's gonna be funding in there that will help us to mitigate climate change and investing in things like street trees to help reduce urban heat island, which we know is an issue in areas uh, in, in upper Manhattan, for example, that don't have as many trees as other parts of our communities do. Um, so we're making sure that we're investing in clean uh, school buses, for example, through this bond act, which will help us reduce air pollution for our children, which I think is really important. So there's a lot of different funding programs that are, are, are being supported with the Bond Act if it gets approved this November 8th. You're listening to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and I'm speaking with Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters, and Amy Chester, managing director of Rebuild by Design. We've been speaking about question one on your ballot this fall. It might be on the back of the ballot. Make sure you look all over your ballot for the ballot questions. Uh, And it's the Environmental Bond Act, a $4.2 billion proposal. There's a lot more being discussed right now in election season about environmental issues, about climate issues. There is the uh, 10-year anniversary of Sandy coming up. Um, Amy, as, as you're looking ahead to this anniversary this fall, um, and thinking about where New York is in its efforts on on climate and resiliency, what are some of the things that you're thinking about and really looking to advance here in the latter part of 2022 and into the following year and beyond? Well, I hope the Hurricane Sandy 10-year anniversary reminds us of how vulnerable we are and the need to to plan comprehensively. So for instance, in New York City, we have a lot of dollars and a lot of plans for some places and some neighborhoods, but we don't have it everywhere. We certainly don't have it everywhere in New York State, but as we've seen with Hurricane Ida, we are all affected by it. So we really need to take a step back and start thinking about how are we building in investments into infrastructure um, with every dollar we spend, making sure that they are climate ready. How do we make sure that communities can withstand whether it's colder temperature, warmer temperature, wetter temperature, whatever it might be that we are building in ways that will be thinking about the future. Julie, between you, you mentioned the infrastructure law passed at the federal level, then the Inflation Reduction Act, which has um, the the climate piece of it uh, and, and a huge amount of funding for those projects. Can you capture for people what is potentially about to sort of come from the federal government for New York and 
um, sort of the opportunity and how it can be, you know, how we can be sort of preparing to maximize that immense amount of federal funding for infrastructure, for climate, and really taking New York, creating jobs, as we talked about a little bit, and sort of just creating a, a, a new New York, so to speak. Sure. Um, first of all, New York is, I think, uniquely positioned to benefit from the, the passage of those two pieces of legislation. And I want to give a big shout out to Senator Schumer for helping deliver on the Inflation Reduction Act, because over the summer, we definitely thought it was lost. And then, it, you know, he managed to, to resurrect it. So huge kudos to him and the leadership in the House for continuing on that. Um, but New York has been setting itself up. Right. We've been working on renewable energy projects for a number of years. We have these very big, bold goals. We have a number of offshore wind projects that are in the pipeline. We have our uh, utility operators who are moving in the direction of greening the grid and preparing for increasing the amount of electricity they need to deliver across New York as we're thinking about how we're going to decarbonize our buildings, how we're going to move to zero emission, primarily electric vehicles for our passenger cars and trucks. Um, and so I think New York is really positioned well to do that. You know, there is billions of dollars available for helping us move to electric school buses, for helping us to build out a 500,000 EV charging infrastructure network throughout the country. And New York has already been moving on all of these projects and setting ourselves up for that. But it's not by any stretch of the imagination are we done, right? One of the reasons why we need the Bond Act is to help us bring down those dollars, right? Because grant dollars, generally speaking, require some skin in the game, <laughs> right? So having the state be willing to put in up to $4.2 billion will help local governments reduce the amount of money that they need to leverage, right? And so it reduces the impacts on taxpayers. So we're very, very happy to see this move forward and put, put forth to the voters, which we think will overwhelmingly support the Bond Act so that we can draw down those federal dollars. I think the governor, Governor Hochul, has been focused on how can we capture some of those jobs in New York and working on focused on the supply chain and manufacturing and innovation. And I think the idea that we're, we're investing in our port infrastructure to support this brand new to the United States industry of offshore wind will really position New York and the Northeast in general to leverage a lot of those dollars for hydrogen hubs, for offshore wind ports and supply chains, uh, and for you know really jumping off with the leadership of the legislation we've done already to require us to move to zero emission cars and trucks by 2035, and then for medium and heavy duty buses and trucks uh, by 2045. So I think we're very well positioned. Now, some people listening might say, okay, with all this money coming from the federal government, the infrastructure law and uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, did that not negate the need somewhat for the, the Bond Act? You know, I mean, that's a lot of federal money that's on its way. There is, but again, it's not free, right? Local governments have to provide a match, right? They're not getting a hundred percent grant. They never will, they never have. So allowing the state to do this will enable municipalities to bring down more dollars because the amount of money that they need to contribute is gonna be less. And it's also gonna be less expensive for taxpayers because when you do a project, you can get sort of more for the amount of money that you otherwise would have to be investing. So I think, no, I think we in New York, you know, in the healthcare side, we used to say we'd medicate it, right? Because we would put something in Medicaid and that would allow us to draw down federal dollars. In this case, we're making these investments, A, because we weren't sure what Congress was going to do. Um, 
you know, and they they managed to get their acts together. But certainly making sure that we are well positioned to draw down as much of that federal funding as we can to invest in these projects because we're on the leading edge. Amy, as New York is looking to these opportunities and there are so many projects underway already, um, we don't even have close to, you know, the amount of time we'd need to sort of even go through what's already been in motion, announcements Governor Hochul has made in her year plus in office building on what was already uh, going on, transmission lines, offshore wind, as, as Julie was talking about, and so many other things. Um, but as as these are in motion, as we're talking about all this federal money coming in, as we're talking about the potential of the Bond Act, the work you do at Rebuild by Design, you're looking at things all over the country, all over the world. Are there any sort of best practices that New York should really be thinking about or looking at um, that are not being done here already or certain types of projects that haven't quite gotten moving here that should be added to this sort of agenda? Anything um, that you can enlighten us with from a broader perspective here? Absolutely. We um, advocate at Rebuild by Design for projects that have multiple benefits, which means that they address physical resilience and social resilience at the same time. I'll give you a really easy example. It comes from the Netherlands. It's being implemented in many other places, including Hoboken. You can actually take a ferry over and go check it out in Hoboken. And that's using parks as what is called a water square. So on a regular day, it looks like a park and maybe you have a sunken um, basketball court and you have bleachers on the side. And then when it rains a little bit, maybe there's a water feature and kids can play with it. But when it rains a lot, that basketball court would get filled up with water from the surrounding community that will hold it there. And then that takes away flooding. So one of the big problems with um, the heavy rain events that we've seen in New York City is not that our sewer can't handle it, can't handle the amount of rain, it's that it can't handle the amount of rain in that short period of time, it has to catch up. So water has to go somewhere. Right now it's going into our streets, it's going into our subways and it's going into our homes and it's flooding it. If we can actually move that water to go to a place where it's supposed to go, that is safe to go, we can then ensure that the subway can catch up. So something as easy as a park can have multi-benefit infrastructure. And as Julie mentioned before, you know, the wonderful things that street trees do, it absorbs water, it cleans our air, it provides cooling. Um, so these are, you know, multiple benefits that we should be building into everything everywhere. You know, it's funny thinking about this conversation and, and what you just brought up. Yeah, I feel like New York, New York State, New York City, correct me if I'm wrong, design is not is, you know, sort of smart, modern design is the thoughtful design is not is not always sort of New York strength. Correct me if I'm wrong there, <laughs> you know, but but you get it. You get it that, you know, in that answer, you think about European cities and, and, and countries um, and it just seems like New York just doesn't have that sort of mentality. And maybe that maybe there's something there that we need to, um, you know, really think about here is all this money is going to come in for projects. And, there, and there's a way to, to rethink where where design comes into the equation. Mm -hmm. what do you think? So I think that's I think it. There's a few things happening and then I'll let Amy go. She's definitely more in the weeds on this than I am. <laughs> right. But one is that from a zoning perspective, the city is starting to take a look at this. Right. And we're, we're anxious to see the full proposal that uh, planning the planning commission has with the zero carbon zoning, because I do think that's something that will help us to encourage 
more developers to incorporate that and more building owners to incorporate smarter design into their projects. Um, last year, uh, right at the end of the de Blasio administration, the city put out uh, resilience design guidelines uh, to help inform what the city is doing in their agencies. And certainly there's a lot more work to be done. And I think that some of the work that's being done through the Climate Action Council at the state level is looking at how can we achieve our goals and prepare for uh, the you know, adaptation that we need to do to recognize that that certain amount of sea level rise and storm surge and additional rainfall is going to be impacting New York and make sure that we're preparing for that as we move forward, you know, through some of the things that we're proposing in the Bond Act, but also through some of the actions that we need to take in particular through zoning and building codes. I think that's a good, uh, really good example. And, you know, when you're saying it, you're you're absolutely right. And I remember starting my career over 20 years ago. And at that time, if you would say, hey, take a look at what Europe is doing or take a look at what Asia is doing, people would, you know, our elected officials would say, absolutely not. We are New York. We are not then. However, in the past 20 years, we actually have taken a lot of ideas from, you know, from Europe, from Asia, whether it's public plazas, whether it's bike lanes, whether it's neighborhood parks, we've really transformed our streets and our neighborhoods to be like, quote unquote, more European. Look at it, like the sidewalk sheds now like after COVID, we're all eating outside, right? That's very, very European. It's very different um, and we're enjoying it. So I think that we can take some of the good lessons learned from other places and build it into every piece of infrastructure. Go ahead, Julie, you're going to add something? Oh, I'm all about the open streets. I mean, open streets has been yeah. such a transformational opportunity. And really, like New York City, I, I very often say we're not going to drive our way out of the climate crisis, right? Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of transition we need to make to zero emission vehicles. And, you know, that we need to do. And there's certain places you need to have cars to get around and certain people who need to have cars. But by and large, there's a lot more opportunities for us to use for use bikes, e-bikes, e-scooters, um, you know, I am known, I'm known for drive riding around New York City in a dress and high heels on a city bike. And in particular, those e-bikes allows I biked, although I didn't know there was no city bike stations when I got there, from my office in downtown Manhattan to the opening of the Queensway, which was quite a far away away. I couldn't have done that on a regular bike, but an e-bike made that happen. And having more protected bike lanes and that full build out of that bike network that is more similar to you know what they're doing in Amsterdam, what they're doing in Paris, will really enable more New Yorkers to get around in a way that's carbon free, frankly, healthier. So it's, it's a very exciting opportunity where we can start folding in all these benefits. It's like when we think about why we need to invest 1% in parks in the city, right? It's not just about providing equity to open space, but it 100% needs to be that too. But it's also about using those parks to help us be more resilient from, from absorbing stormwater and using them for green infrastructure, as well as reducing air pollution and providing that heat reduction benefit that comes along with having street, you know, having trees in our neighborhoods. So it's really thinking about those multiple benefits that nature provides to New Yorkers as we're thinking about what we're doing. One of the issues that's being discussed in the race for governor that's happening right now, and, and New York League Conservation Voters has endorsed Kathy Hochul, we should note, um, is the relitigation of of whether fracking should be allowed in New York. Um, <laughs> Republicans, including the gubernatorial nominee Lee Zeldin, are, are advocating strongly for it. Um, obviously, even if there was a governor who wanted to do it, you know, getting it through a Democrat-dominated state legislature would be a big lift. But the question is, have we 
Have we seen enough from other places doing it to say maybe New York should take another look at this in localities that want it? I think the answer is no, right? We made this decision at the end of 2014. Um, I was at DEC when we decided to ban fracking, and then it was codified by the state legislature following that, right? So I think that we are well past that. In New York, A, we already have a law that requires us to move to uh, 85% emissions reduction by 2050, and we can't doing that by using the fossil fuel pollution of of the past, right? We already know we're on a path towards having 100% clean energy for our electricity by 2040, right? We know that fossil fuel creates a lot of pollution, not just climate pollution, but straight up air pollution that impacts public health in a very significant way, in particular for disadvantaged communities and for people of color. You look at the Bronx, right? They have one of the highest levels of asthma in the entire country. And that's very frequently from truck pollution, right? So we know that we can move to cleaner, renewable fuels that is not on the merry-go-round or, I'm sorry, the roller coaster ride that fossil fuels take us on, right? We just saw gas prices were over $6 in my neighborhood a gallon, right? That's crazy, right? They're back down to three something, right? Which is, you know, unbelievable how quickly that has moved. Whereas in other places like health, like there are parts of California that have a clean fuel standard, you know, E85, right, which is using a lot more ethanol than we use, particularly the gasoline, was more than a dollar cheaper per gallon, right? When we have renewable fuels uh, that a clean fuel standard might, might support, and we're moving to electric vehicles, we have less reliance on fossil fuels, we're not at risk uh, of having these massive fluctuations in prices that really impact the economy and consumers in their pocketbooks. So really, we don't need to go and relitigate the, the, poss- the, the fossil fuel past. We need to be continue moving forward. We need to have a lot of different options about how we get there, right? We need to make sure that we're moving towards solar and wind and hydro, but we also need to look at renewable fuels and how they can help us transform the transportation system. What do you say to um, candidates for office, but also New Yorkers who are generally supportive of of all these goals, um, but they have a lot of questions about pace of implementation? And I know this is what the New York State Climate Action Council is working on a plan to meet the mandates of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So that, you know, seems to really, you know, we're getting to a point where that really needs to happen and be in place. So people really have a sense of exactly how New York plans to get there. But that's that's in development. But there's a lot of, you know, I think hesitation out there. Like people understand we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, move to renewable energy, et cetera. But there's a lot of worry about are we going to have the capacity? Are we, you know, is the battery storage going to be there? Are, are there going to be all these warnings in the future? You know, don't charge your electric vehicles because the grid can't handle it right now. What do you say to, what do you say to those people, um, you know, who have those sorts of, of worries about this transition that's underway and they're not sure about the, the pace of it? I think first and foremost is the fact that we have a plan. We're we're not going to allow ourselves to fall into California's grid debacles. They certainly um, have a lot more blackouts than than New York has ever had or will ever have. You know, we have our own independent system operator that is there to specifically ensure the reliability of the grid. And so I think it's looking at when projects are coming online and when you can take projects offline. So I think that they're looking at that very closely and they're a big part of that discussion. Um, The state is certainly investing um, our dollars into making sure that we're, we're transitioning 
for the electrical grid in a very, very, you know, succinct way. Um, and I think the fact that we have over 120 projects in the pipeline for renewable energy is really very promising that we're going to be able to transition that grid. On the on the transportation front, right, we've already established laws that limit when we're going to have sales of things that are, are cars that are rely on the internal combustion engine, right? That's already on the books. Uh, California is moving this direction as well. And frankly, the price of electric vehicles is starting to come down. And now with the Inflation Reduction Act, providing new tax credits for people will provide incentives for them to do that. I tell you, I have an electric car and I laugh every time I go by a gas station because even when you're using a fast <laughs> charger, which costs a little bit more money, uh, it's still cheaper than gas. Um, and it, it happens pretty quickly. It does require some transition. We know that, right? But most people who have cars are going to be able to charge pretty easily, I think, in the future. And we're building that out. And the cost of, of owning those cars is coming down, right? Mm -hmm. So that will, will make it a lot easier for people to make that decision. I mean, we've been working at the league to try and educate people about some of the questions they have about electric vehicles. For our buildings, right, buildings is one of the bigger challenges, I think, uh, that that's going to require, again, both carrots and sticks, right, having some new requirements. You know, in New York City, we've passed a law, two laws, right, one law that says all new construction has to be zero emission um, by certain years. I think 2024 for smaller buildings and 2027 for larger buildings. So higher skyscrapers, they have a longer lead time in building them so that we're no longer adding on to reliance on fossil fuels from the get-go, which is always easier, right? But we have a 6 million buildings that are in our stock. And right now, NYSERDA is working on putting together a plan with a whole bunch of other agencies for how we're gonna do that. And ultimately, these are all things that are gonna reduce consumers' costs, right? By making their homes more energy efficient, for example, which uh, the Inflation Reduction Act includes a bunch of rebates for you to get more energy efficient appliances like washer and dryer, uh, refrigerator, things like that, but also to retrofit your home, to add more insulation, to reduce all that leaking that you're just kind of throwing out the heat and the air conditioning that, that you're wasting. Mm -hmm. And last year, Governor Hochul signed into, or earlier this year, always feels like when session ends, like <laughs> last year, right. um, she signed into a bill that, that looks at these new geothermal networks that all the utilities are, are piloting, that we work together with environmental justice groups, labor unions, and utilities, which is an unusual group of people to come together around the legislation to start looking at how can we get the transition for our heating and cooling, right, in a way that's very efficient and that will work at larger scales than just your individual home. So there's a lot of moving parts, uh, but I think that the state is being very thoughtful about it. And again, looking at how we can use all these funds that the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Bill Act at the federal level are going to be investing, coupling that with leadership from the state. For example, Governor Hochul put out an executive order about the state agency operations that will really you know, help to lead in reducing emissions associated with buildings and their fleet that will demonstrate to the private sector how these things can work. So I, I think there's that sort of combination of carrots and sticks we need to do. I have a final question for you, Amy, but did you want to jump in on? I, I mean, I'm just going to say that um, I don't blame New Yorkers for being skeptical. skeptical. They don't you know, how would they know? So it's really important that people like you, Ben, are talking about this and having these conversations out in the open so we can find out what people are afraid of and then kind of figure out how to work it into the, the program. The other thing is to hold our elected officials accountable. Um, we, you know, they need to figure this out and we can help them figure it out, but ultimately they need to figure it out and we need to show them as voters that we care about this.
Hmm. Yep. And I, I think that on that front, we're seeing we've had for the third election cycle in a row, we've had a record number of people seek our endorsement and we're issuing a record number of endorsements. And to me, that's because elected officials know that voters care more and more about the environment and climate change than they have in the past. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, in closing, Amy, let me come back to you on this question of sort of managed retreat uh, in New York City. Um, the Adams administration obviously is is dealing with a lot of issues related to storm resiliency um, and many other issues related to climate, environment, energy, and so forth. Um, how should New York leaders be thinking about the the idea of managed retreat? Are there areas of New York City? that really need to be rethought. Um, Say a few words about this concept in New York City as it stands today. Sure, there's definitely areas of New York City that's more vulnerable than other areas, but it doesn't mean that those areas are gonna have to retreat. We as a society, as a community, need to work with the residents there to make those decisions. The city is going to need to do a comprehensive plan to understand where can we fortify and where might we have to move back to let it return to nature. So one of my closest friends from high school, I went to high school in, in, in Brooklyn. She lives in Staten Island and lost her home in Staten Island. Her neighbor's house slid off the foundation and slid into her house and her house slid away in Oakwood Beach. And she was one of the areas that organized and asked Governor Cuomo for a buyout. She got a buyout. She stayed in Staten Island. There's going to be a lot of communities that that want to leave and it's going to be easier for them to leave. I have family in the Rockaways that are already thinking about, oh, you know, at what point will we not be able to live here? But it doesn't mean that we have to be making these decisions right now. We need to be talking to the communities and understanding what do they need and what would we need to build into programs to make it easy for them to make this decision? Because this has to be a longer term conversation. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, obviously, um, and, and we could keep talking about this for a while, but I'm going to let you go. You know, at the same time, obviously, there's seawalls, you know, being built. There's huge infrastructure projects being done, um, you know, to try to to try to avoid that and try to bolster coastal protections in, in New York City. And it's just, you know, very challenging equation to, you know, to dissect in terms of um, where to put the resources and how well, you know, many billions of dollars would be spent in in trying to protect areas that may or may not still be extremely vulnerable. So, yeah. And what to do afterwards with the land. And I think that's a, a big piece of this. We have seen um, from lots of studies that show that if people live in a vulnerable place and they know that the land will go back to nature, they are more likely to retreat than if they think that it's going to be sold to a developer that's going to just create something that's higher. So we need to be thinking about um, all of these questions and thinking about the future of New York City and deciding what kind of communities we want to live in. And it's important that, you know, the program that Amy mentioned before that the state would be funding through the Bond Act, that that actually requires, similar to the way FEMA does, that if the land is purchased for a buyout, it has to be used for purposes of a flood control or for passive recreation so that you're not putting a new new structures into harm, but allowing that land to help you absorb some of that water. All right. We could keep talking for hours, uh, <laughs> but, but we've, covered, we've covered a good bit. Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Amy Chester, managing director of Rebuild by Design. Thank you both very much for the time and be well. Thank you. Thank you.